Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we have an interview with Cardinals prospect Victor Scott II. It is perfect timing because we were just talking about him on the Arizona Fall League check-in episode where I discussed how impressive Victor Scott looked in the several games I was able to see him play, both at the plate Of course, on the bases, which we'll talk about, and in the field as well, where he is a great defender in center field. But Scott is so much more than just a burner. And I know if you're able to steal 95 bags in 132 games, you can make a living off of that. But Scott brings a lot of value to the table at the plate and in center field as well. And in the conversation with him, it became a lot easier to understand how he was able to make such a big leap this year as a former fifth round pick out of West Virginia, a guy that struggled through his first 30 professional games, hitting just 222 in low A, and then doing what he did this year with a 794 OPS, hitting 303 with the 95 or actually 94 bags. We talk about the controversy there with uh, losing one stolen base after the season. That's a funny story with him and his friend Chandler Simpson in the Rays org who They were both battling for the minor league stolen base title as best friends. And that was a really fun wrinkle in the conversation as well. But back to the offensive leap that he made this season, when you hear the way that he breaks down both the improvements he's made in the box from a physical standpoint, adjusting his setup, adjusting his bat path, all of the things that he really hammered hard in the offseason going into this year, and then also his sound approach how in tune he is with who he is as a hitter, and all of these things, it's like, okay, now I get how this guy made such a massive leap because not only was this season just really impressive no matter how you look at it, you could argue that it was as good as any season he's had even going back to his college days, which is pretty damn hard to do when you are playing an equal amount of games between high A and double A here and what was really his first full pro season. I talked about the 31 games after getting drafted out of college last year where it just was a little bit of a struggle for him in low A. So we talk about the adjustments that he's made in the box, both with his setup and then some of the things that he was looking to do from a metric standpoint, being able to go work and get some instant feedback, stuff like that, and then path with his swing and just a bunch of other little things that have really helped him. But again, getting into the approach, and we do that as well in the live breakdown, which is going to be linked in the episode description. Definitely go check that out whenever you get a chance on YouTube because he walks me through kind of what he does in the box, what his approach is against different types of pitchers, his stolen base philosophy as well, because it's one thing to be fast and and you can steal a lot of bases by just being fast. And that's something that is obviously vital when it comes to stealing bases. But there's a lot of fast players who don't steal 95 bags and efficiently and don't steal even half of that. The best base dealers are, of course, very, very fast, but also savvy, have a good feel in terms of when to run and also are able to get great jumps, of course. And him breaking that down in the live breakdown was really interesting as well. Just a whole side of the game that doesn't really get discussed enough. And again, now you're able to see why he is so good at what he does on the base paths because of the little things that he does to give himself an advantage on top of being an absolute burner. The trend with Scott is pretty clear. He's just continuously getting better every time you check in. He had 66 games in high A in the Midwest League, 763 OPS. The second half of the season for him, which was also 66 games in the Texas League in double A, 824 OPS. And we talk about 
how he was able to make that leap to a much more challenging level. High A to double A is really tough. And yeah, the Texas League is a little bit more hitter friendly in terms of environment, but you got to be able to hit the baseball consistently and hard to really reap the rewards of the ball carrying a bit better in those environments. And he did just that over his final 50, 60 games or so. He was running his own contact around 90%. So this is a guy that's bordering on a plus field to hit. We know what kind of speed he has. The approach is good. And he's a great defender in center field. You really see the entire profile here. And he's a true, true center fielder with a little bit of the modern flair, given that he can run into some baseballs still. He's going to hit you 10, maybe 15 home runs as he continues to tap into power. But he's already shown plenty of gap-to-gap juice. He had 10 triples last year, 20 doubles, and then mixed in those nine homers. And I saw that sneaky pop up close and personal. Right after that AFL check-in episode that we put out, I mentioned how he hit some foul balls really, really hard, and I was looking forward to seeing another game of his, and sure enough, he leads off the ball game with a home run 107 right out to straightaway right on on a line. This dude has a really well-rounded game and is a very unique and special athlete that should probably be forcing his way onto every top 100 list you check in on going into next year or in the early parts of next year, and I can tell you, There's few prospects with more helium right now than Victor Scott with what he did at the end of the season, with what he is now doing in the fall league, and just the more I've been able to see and hear from him. You're absolutely going to love this conversation because of how insightful he is and how well he's able to describe things to us normal people who don't run a million miles an hour and do all the incredible things that he does. I genuinely learned a lot between this conversation and the live breakdown that we did and just the nuances and different ways that you can approach the game and approach it mentally and also on the field. So I think that's something that you all will very much enjoy as well. Before we get to that interview with Victor Scott II, a quick message from some sponsors. And here is Victor Scott, the second St. Louis Cardinals prospect who I think has pretty much set the minor league baseball world on fire with his speed. But as I saw this past week, man, you can swing it, you can defend, you can do a lot of things on the baseball field. First and foremost, congratulations on the Fall Stars appearance yesterday. I know that was a lot of fun with your parents in attendance and all that good stuff. But also, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with the Arizona Fall League and then we'll kind of work backwards because, again, I just had the opportunity to see you play, watch you rip a home run 107 pull side, but also watch you do what you always do, which is steal bags and obviously play some good defense in center field. What's been your focus out there? Because, again, there's so many different things that you do well. Certain players, you know, might be to cut down on the strikeouts, work on the defense. Like There might be some specific things. For you, it seemed like it was just getting reps, right, and continuing to build on what was an awesome season already. Yeah, yeah. Just um, coming out here, I really wanted to kind of just work on consistency. Um, it's 162 games that you're playing in the big league. So yeah. coming out here and getting those extra games under my belt, just being able to kind of repeat what I was doing in the season, um, having like the same the same schedule, having the same routine, uh, having the same like recovery program, just kind of continually implementing myself into like a and so like basically a major league schedule is pretty much like what my yeah. what my focus was coming out here. Well, you played 132 this regular season, which is already, I'm sure, a, a different beast than anything you're used to. How did you kind of feel getting out there, especially for a guy that 
uses his legs so much, right? It's not like you're a DH and go out there, take 10 swings and, and call it a day. You, you got to be fresh. You got to be good to go to be playing the way Victor Scott plays. So how did you feel when you started in the fall league? And, and have you felt maybe a little bit more of that importance on the little things when it comes to recovery, when it comes to, you know, just being able to stay fresh? Because you're at 154 games. If we include the fall stars game, 155, that's, that's a full workload. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of attribute it all to, like, this kind of work ethic and, like, how determined are you to keep yourself on the field. Um, yeah. Those those kind of principles were instilled in me when I was younger from my mom and my dad. It all kind of streamlined from the classroom with my mom always being on me about academics. And, like, if if an assignment wasn't wasn't good enough in her eyes, then she would print out another one and I'd have to do it again. Kind of like the same thing on the flip side of that on the field. Uh, my dad would go and hit a uh, fungos to me and hit fly balls, ground balls. And if I ever miss one, he would test my limit, test my range. And if I ever miss one that like would be like completely in left field and I'm taking him in center, um, it would be like a 50, a 50 push up penalty. So hmm. like they always kind of held me to like that standard. So kind of growing up, I always had like these same principles and same morals and values of work ethic and kind of taking care of myself both mentally and physically and um coming coming into the season i knew like this is what i was going to have to do in order to kind of maximize my performance on the field so i began to work out twice a week i mean like i wasn't already doing this but i would work out (laughs) twice a week and like make sure i was doing that and then also uh getting the ice tub at least twice a week was was huge and and fundamental for me as it came like in those dog days of the summer and then kind of pushing pushing towards the end at the, at the final stretch. So you're, you're not the first guy to mention the ice tub on, on the show over the last couple months. And, and it's obviously been something that I've seen a lot of people, even that aren't professional athletes start to, to utilize as, as kind of a resource for them. Can, can you talk about what that does for you in terms of recovery and, and, and who kind of puts you onto that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of start from like who put me onto it and then kind of de- develop from there. But um, I know my my dad my dad was like he was a track athlete so he always and a football player so he would always tell me like hey man you need to start getting to ice tub he told me that it was Virginia but <clears throat> I just it was already cold enough over there man and I wasn't it's a tough to, sell man <laughs> it's a tough I mean, sell it was already cold enough so I wasn't really trying to and then we didn't it wasn't like a like a minor league schedule and then as I got into pro ball I think it was like after like my second week and I was just doing normal tech boots and then he told I was like dad like my legs are feeling it. He was like, dude, it's only the second week. And he was like, he was like, either you're going to get in that ice tub or you're going to keep feeling it. So sure enough, I kind of like took baby steps towards it, like where I would go, like just kind of waist deep. And then I then I sat down one time and then now I'm to the point where I'll go like on entry head underwater and then I'll come back up and I'll sit there for three minutes. So like now I've gotten a lot better with um, with how I'm kind of going about that. But what it does for me is just it's just a whole kind of like a reset button for me. So like a lot of times you can you can play one or two games and then your body starts to begin to kind of drag towards like the end of the season. But um, with that, with that, I never felt like a like I'm dragging myself to get to the field or like even my preparation work is being is becoming more focused and more refined because my body feels refreshed. So it helped out. Um, it helped out my mind a lot. It helped out my body a ton. It was definitely, definitely, especially like used for. But uh, the mind benefits is is second to none. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, and everyone that does it swears by it. But it's just like it's ripping the bandaid off of being able to get in there and do that. But 
yeah. where, where do you feel like that gets your your legs and, and things like that? Because again, it's so important for you to, to be fresh and, and be feeling good. Do, do you feel like when you do that, you're you're ready to go? Like feel like you recover a little bit quicker? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Every time I get in that, it, I mean, a lot of a lot of injury comes from inflammation. So yeah, you kind of eliminate that inflammation component in your joints, and then now you start to talk about like, okay, now this guy is fresh. Unless you just like break a hand or tear a ligament, like I hope that never happens to anyone. But like things like hamstring pulls or um, tendonitis in the knees and elbows, that comes from inflammation. So when you're sitting in that, all inflammation is being almost removed from your body in that in that time. And then now you're creating, um, you're regenerating new blood flow, which is pretty much what, what it's what it's used for. You, you might have just put me on because I'm still I'm still sore from from my playing days, my right shoulder, dude. Like it kills me all the time. I go play softball, throw a couple of times, and I feel it for like a week. So uh, I might I might need to be doing that when I get back home to Florida because yeah. I, again, you're like the, the third person that plays at a really high level and is an athletic, you know, specimen and and swears by this. So uh, I'm in on that. But kind of wrapping up on the fall league talk before we work backwards. Cause I want to talk about this season. That was just was so remarkable for you in so many different ways. How, how has the competition been out there? Because it, it is kind of a mixed bag of from a pitcher's perspective, you've got some guys that are extremely talented that are trying to make up for maybe some innings that they missed. You get some relievers who are wild that are trying to hone in on their command, which is, hard to handle in its own way. Uh, and it's just all these different ranges of pitching types. You've got guys that pitched in the big leagues uh, for, for quite a bit that are out there. So it's this wide range. And I'm sure the preparation is a little bit more difficult. What is it like for you as a hitter out there? Would you say, and I know the ball flies and people like to talk about that, but that's just one part of it. Is it easier, harder, different? What, what is it like for you out there in the fall league as a hitter? It's a little bit um, it's a little bit more challenging than what it is in the season because you're also not playing the same team. Like mm-hmm. the team may be the Peoria Havelinas, but you're also you're playing five different organizations in that one team. So each organization has a different philosophy and each guy that they're running out there has a different pitch sequence that they like to abide by or different just different stuff in general. So it's almost like every Every game is like an all-star game in a way yeah. because you're seeing new arms. You're seeing different organizations. You're seeing high caliber talent. Everybody's just good. So the preparation that comes into this is just, it's almost like um, we know the scout report. We know what he throws. We don't know like how often he throws some pitches in this place and three, one counts and all this other count. We don't, we don't know that. We just, I just know for me, I personally just want to know what pitches he throws. <clears throat> and then I'll go up there and kind of just, at that point, just be a hitter, like um, have my own approach, have my own plan of attack against who I'm facing. And then hopefully, hopefully it works out in the end. And it's been working out. You've been swinging it really well, especially pretty much from that time onward. Every time I saw you, I felt like you had a couple hits, had the home run and things like that. Uh, I think one of the more underrated aspects of your game, and it's obvious that something's going to be underrated when, again, I mean, the big conversation around you is always going to be the stolen bases and you know the electrifying speed. But you hit the ball hard, and I, I caught you a game before. I think it was in surprise. You ripped a couple balls foul that you, you, you were right on and hit them really hard. And then I was like, man, okay, like he, he can hit the ball pretty hard to that pull side. And then the very next day or maybe two days later, you ambush a fastball, 107, line shot straight out to right. Is that power 
become part of your game, you know, more recently? And is that something that came with kind of physical maturation or is that something that came with a little bit of swing and approach changes? Cause I'm looking at the like collegiate breakdown. It was six home runs. I think your, your, your final college season at West Virginia in 55 games, technically speaking, that's more home runs per game, but I think nine home runs and 10 triples and just the batted ball data in general would point towards you hitting the ball harder and hitting for more power this past year. What kind of helps you do that uh, this year and, and start to tap into s- some juice? Just kind of learning what, what kind of hitter I am. Um, at West Virginia, I was a three-hole hitter, so that kind of role and mentality changes a little bit because now you're you're trying to shoot for more like RBI opportunities, things like that. But in pro ball, being a leadoff guy, I know my, my goal is to get on base, steal bases, cause as much havoc as possible, and now you're looking at two, three-hole hitters getting fastballs instead of getting breaking stuff. Yeah. Um, I know, like, as, in terms of, like, the power, I just have, like, specific hot zones that, like, I know if you throw this ball here, like, I can do damage here. I also know, like, if you throw it on the outer half, what I can do with it. Like, I just know what who I am more so as a player than, than like, what I knew at West Virginia. And, and how did that come just your bat experience and just being able to get those reps? Because to do what you did this year, I mean, this was arguably you look at the season across the board as, as good of a season you've played really at any level since you entered college, which is so impressive to see. Right. And I think it was the fact that you got better as the year went on and high A to double A is a big jump. It's, it's a different beast in terms of the competition that you're going to face from a pitching perspective. Yes. Texas league in terms of environment, easier to hit it in terms of the ball carrying than the Midwest league, but again, way more talent. How are you able to just level up in double A? Because you played exactly 66 games in high A, 66 games in double A. Your OPS went up more than 60 points. Your batting average went up more than 40 points. And you were still that absolute menace on the base pass. Yeah. I would just say it attributes to like learning like the physical as well as the mental maturation of just a player. So like kind of as I've grown up and and grew through like the levels, just kind of more so like understanding how I can affect the game, because there's more than one way that I could like necessarily like impact the game. It doesn't always have to be speed. It doesn't always it doesn't have to be power. Sometimes I can bunt to get a runner over. Like there's a lot of other ways that the game can be impacted more than just one. So I guess uh, moving up, moving up, um, I know a little bit like. And high A pitchers a little bit more sporadic around his own. Yeah. So it's a little bit harder to be aggressive with those guys, especially like when they're throwing balls like that are missing by a good amount. And then as I got to double A, pitchers have a better plan. They are attacking your like your weaknesses as well as pitching to their strengths. So they're relatively more around the zone. So a guy like me, I like I have a good eye, yes, but I like to be aggressive as well. So Anything that's around a zone that I feel like I can handle, especially at an advantage count, I'm going to try to put a good swing on that, a level swing to try to give myself the best opportunity to hit line drive. That's kind of how that happened as I moved up. And then it just so happened that I ended up performing better in, in AA than I was in high. So th- that thing that stood out to me in terms of like the underlying metrics, your contact within the zone in AA also improved. I by about five, six percent from that stint in, in high A. Does that tie in with what you just said in terms of just the confidence of being able to, you know, just put good swings on balls in the zone? Like I know that it helps approach wise, and you've always been a, a lower chase rate guy, but 
how is that conducive to maybe more contact within the zone when you're seeing better stuff in the zone? Yeah, I mean, it just I mean, with me, I have a real kind of simple, simple swing. There's not too many moving parts. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a load. Make sure my hands are in a good position to be set to fire. And then that gives me a ton of time to recognize pitches, which which allows me to have that that better kind of end zone contact rate. So like. Uh, at that point, it's just putting a uh, putting a good swing on it and putting a and hopefully it's on the barrel gives me a chance to get on base. Talking about the moves, we're going to break it down a little bit because we have a really good open side slow mo video that we're gonna we're gonna go over on, on the kind of live breakdown version of this or, or portion of this. But your swing, you mentioned how simple it is and kind of just relying on really good bat to ball skills, a good feel for the barrel, and your explosiveness to kind of create that power. How do you balance that? You know. I want to be simple. I want to see the ball early. I want to be contact oriented while also you mentioned your hot zones and areas where, you know, you can do some damage. How do you balance that? Is that like a leverage count situation? Is that hunting specific spots to try to do some damage or is there just certain zones where, you know, Hey, if if it's middle end right there, I'm just naturally going to be able to turn on that. And that's a home run. Like, is it a, is it an approach thing or is it just certain areas where you're just able to do a little bit more damage naturally? A lot of it is just like instincts and like knowing who I am as a player. So like, I just know like with specific pitches, like I've kind of already played out like, okay, like especially like in my routine, in my preparation, I hit off the tee. And like, while I'm hitting off the tee, I'm not just going through the motions. Like I'm actually thinking, okay, if he throws a fastball up, what am I trying to do with this pitch? If he throws a fastball in, how am I, how am I going to get to like, what is the mindset of getting to this pitch? If he throws a change up low and away, what is the mindset of getting to this pitch? So, like, it's not necessarily in my preparation. Am I thinking, like, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm, like, literally thinking, okay, how I'm going – like, this is this is the pitcher I have for today. If he throws this here, this is how I'm going to attack him. So, that's kind of, like, my mentality when it when it comes to that. Being in the Cardinals organization, I mean, it, it, it comes with a lot of pride and, you know, an organization that – I think is one of the more storied and in baseball and run as, as well as any also comes with a lot of really passionate and excited fans. And I can tell you for a fact that uh, we see it all the time, how excited Cardinals fans, I'm sure you see it too, how excited they are about you just from what you've done. Is this anything you could have imagined? Cause I know you feel like you still got work to do. You're still trying to push towards the big leagues and, and that's the goal, but just zooming out and, and almost enjoying it for a little bit, right? Like, how cool has it been to go from a kid that was playing in West Virginia trying to get drafted to a kid that's playing in the fall stars game and, and also has Cardinals fans just pounding the table. So excited about your, your potential debut and you know, the next, however many months or, or the next year or so. It feels, it honestly feels amazing. And it's kind of like surreal in a way. Um, I never like really imagined the year that like I could have had or, or even if it didn't go my way that I, I wouldn't have had, but it, it turned out to be a pretty good year. Um, but I, I never really could have imagined that this would kind of come about. It was um, it's definitely a, a, a blessing, and I'm super thankful to be in this position to even be with the Cardinals organization for, you know, for this historic organization, for, for these fans. I'm, I'm just blessed and thankful to even be in this position. I saw some fans 
uh, kind of grabbing you in, in surprise. Hey, Cardinals fans, they travel real well, even in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, they grabbed you and you, you signed autographs for a, a couple of Cardinals fans. It's got to be so cool to just be in Arizona and see fans decked out and, and Cardinals stuff, knowing who you are, knowing everything about you and asking for for your autograph, right? I mean, that's got to be a yeah. pr- pretty cool feeling. Yeah, it's uh, it's always like one one thing about one thing about me is I always try to sign everyone's uh, memorabilia or if they have like a baseball, they want me to sign. Like I always kind of try to stop and sign. Cause I feel like people, people kind of gravitate towards, you know, like those type of people, like more, more so character than just like all, all on the hundred percent. So um, I always try to like stop and, and give, give some of my time. And you can make sure. a lot of people's days, especially kids. And uh, that's the cool thing about the fall league too, is just, uh, there's so many kids out there that you know, get to see guys like yourself uh, that, are just the kind of access and, and the ability to just go up to you and get something signed is, is, is really special. The last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of just kind of your, your journey here, and, and it kind of was answered in, in some ways specifically, but 2022, you get drafted fifth round and you go to low A. And look, I grew up in South Florida. I used to play summer ball tournaments at, at some of those complexes in those fields. I know how how much of a nightmare it is trying to hit in, in the Florida State League in terms of those stadiums. I've watched games where balls just go nowhere. And I know that's a, a, a tough place to kind of break in. And it, it was only 31 games after a, a long college season and all that stuff, but obviously was not nearly the statistical output that you had this year. Was that kind of some fuel for your fire in those 31 games in a little way to come out and do what you did this year? Because it's just so impressive to see somebody go – from you know 222 750 OPS in low A to you know 303 with a near 800 OPS in high A and double A this past season. You talked about some of the things that you were able to do to to improve overall, but what was that offseason like after you know making your pro debut really and then getting thrown into a much more challenging situation? I'm sure you were ready for that, but you know what was that preparation process like in the offseason from that? Right. So it started um like kind of getting drafted and then getting into it. There was a lot of things that like I didn't necessarily like know about my swing. Like I was just going up there pretty much at the play and being like an athlete is, yeah. is all that came down to. And then I started to realize like, okay, this is what, these are the type of positions I need to be in after meeting with like Russ Steinhorn and um, Daniel Nicolaisen, uh, who was the hitting coordinator at the time. But uh, I, would talk, I was talking to them and we started to, kind of like devise like a plan of like what the swing should look like, how I fulfill the role of a leadoff guy, what that swing looks like and kind of understanding the concepts around that coming into the off season. Um, I know I took like a little, I took like a little break, began to train. I trained at the champ fit Grindhouse in uh, Powder Springs, Georgia. Um, been training there since I was like 16 years old, but um, I, I went to a performance camp in October and then I also went to a performance camp in December and at both of those uh, performance camps, it's like, it's like I like like they it's like they gave me like homework pretty much. <laughs> so like they would tell me they would give me like the blast motion sensor, tell me like, look, these are the positions we want you to be in. This is how the swing should look. This is what will make you the most successful. I would go home and just rep that out as much as possible. So like it gave me like a like a direct focus in my in my workouts. So like I knew how to. I knew how to then like even attack like my training. I knew what to ask for. Like, okay, this is what I want to work on. This is how I want to improve and get stronger in these positions. 
Mm-hmm. And then I went to the next performance camp. Okay, you've gotten better at this. Now we want you to get better at on-plane efficiency. So now you're in the zone for longer. So then I'm like, okay, let's work on that. So then I began to do my homework with that. And I would, I don't know how many swings I was putting in a day. I would, I would probably like two to 300, maybe five, six days, seven, maybe seven days a week. But um, I would then begin to like really hone in on that stuff because like I said before, kind of growing up that work ethic principle, it like when, when I'm given a task, like I'm going to do it to like my full ability. So kind of going into the off season, working with Michael Butler and uh, coach Lawrence Peltier, who's like one of my old coaches growing up, it was like almost like a hand in hand kind of, um, I'm looking, looking for the word for it, but it was, just, it just went hand in hand. And then, um, with like the work ethic and then like the work that went with it. And then coming into like the season, that's when all of it just kind of came out in the wash. So just happened to happen to be something, something pretty special. So I noticed like in, in the early part of the season, you, you kind of, your setup was a little bit different, right? Your hands were kind of closer to, to in front of you. Uh, your load had a little bit of a, almost a barrel tip backwards. And then you, you, you brought the hands back, but it, it was definitely a, a little bit, busier than what you do now, which is pretty much just a very, as you mentioned, just kind of a very easy, simple kind of negative move pushback. And that's it. When did you kind of make that move? Cause that, that was, I think right early May where you, you got the hands kind of set up a little bit further back and, and changed that setup for you. And it, is that something that you were th- tinkering with early, maybe going into the season then said, I'm, I'm not going to make that change yet. Or, you know, how do you, how'd you decide to make that change? Like within the first month of the season with your setup and, you know, kind of simplifying the load even further. And I think kind of starting a little bit more in your legs. If, if, if I'm seeing it correctly, it's kind of tough with the, the video angles, but. Yeah, no, you're seeing it. You're seeing it correctly. It's um, it was just like with, with that homework, it was like kind of interpreting it like as like for my own. So I would go into the season and I was like, okay, this is what I feel like. This is what I feel like my swing should feel like. And then it's like, well, I don't know. I'm not really like hitting the pitches I want to be hitting. Like I'm hitting consistently, but I'm not really driving the ball. So then um, kind of tinkering with my setup a little bit more. Then I began to like realize like, okay, this is where I want my hands. This is how I can consistently be on time how I can consistently be hitting from the same position because ultimately that's how you get stronger in your swing is like hitting from the same position. Yeah. So that's kind of like where that came from. And then I began to, to start performing with that, with that swing. So it stuck with me. No doubt. And and it clearly turned into some, some really good results there before we jump into the, the kind of live breakdown and getting a little bit more into those specific moves. Got to ask you about the stolen bases, of course. I mean, it's something that you've been answering questions about all, all year long, but 94 bags in 132 games, and then you're 16 of 18 in the fall league. So, I mean, that's just absurd. It's 110 stolen bases on 116 tries. But you've always been a, a burner. You've always been a guy that's been able to steal bags. But it, did you ever think that you could flirt with with 100 bags in, in, in a full season like this? And, you know, what's your goal for for next year, dare I ask? Yeah, I mean – I actually didn't know like what I was capable of, like in terms of like stealing bases. Um, I knew I was like fast, but I knew as I moved up, I was going to have to learn like that, that speed can kill you. So you may need to learn tendencies. You have to learn like pitcher habits, um, game situations. 
So like those those three kind of branches all create this tree of of knowledge pretty much. So kind of like learning, like sitting down, breaking down film on like, okay, what is this pitcher doing on first? Is he like a is he like a head move guy before he goes? Is he like twitching his hip or is he doing something that's like a little bit like that he may think is normal, but like I am seeing as abnormal that would give me a tail that he's pitching. So that kind of helped me propel myself um, a little bit further up until like those, those higher end numbers. And then also in the back of my head, my, my best friend Chandler Simpson, he's in the <laughs> Rays organization. Like we would, we talk, uh, we talk so often. So um, like, especially during the season, we always ask like how he's doing. And then like, of course, seeing like the weekly kind of updates on like who has the most stolen bases, he began to take the lead and we do everything together. So like we bowl, play ping pong. So everything's like super competitive between us. So in the back of my head, I'm like, I need the extra edge in order to get him. And then he's thinking the same thing. Like I need the extra edge in order to, to beat him. So it's just between the two of us, man. That, that was kind of like in the back of my head with the stolen bases. So I never really even realized how close I was to 100 until kind of people started reminding me about it. Yeah, I was just seeing it as I'm just trying to beat my beat my best friend, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and did you tie or did you get him by one? Because I, I think there's like a discrepancy in the stats, but I – did you get him by one? So I had him by one. I had 95. <clears throat> and then um, 10 days after after the game, they took one away. So I was on my way back. I was on my way back home, literally from Springfield, uh, Missouri. And uh, I got a call from my my other friend who's in the Rockies organization who I played with at West Virginia, Tevin Tucker. He was like, bro, do you, did you know like that they took a, took a stolen base away from you? And I'm like, what? Like I was so blown, man. It was crazy, but I mean, it is what it is. Life moves on. So, so, so did Chandler say anything then? He's like, oh, it turns out we tied stat correction. That's like a fantasy football nightmare. Like a stat correction at the end, you lose your week. Uh, th- yeah. did, he, did you hear from him on that one? Yep. Of course I did. <laughs> and then we started having the debate about like, who's more, who was more uh, impactful, who had, <laughs> We had more in like about stolen bases. Like he was like, I had more and less games. Like it just, it went back and forth for at least like a week. And then we finally <laughs> set it up on it and was like, look, we both had great seasons, man. Like you did your thing this year. I did my thing. Now I'm probably going to go beat you in bowling. Like we just, just got to set it like that. Sounds like best friends to me, man. I, I love that, but that's awesome. And I think it gives uh, a lot of minor league baseball fans something fun to watch next year as you, know, you guys will be going going at it again, I'm sure, on the stolen base department because Chandler's absolutely a menace on the base paths as well. Uh, we're going to jump and do the the quick little breakdown, a couple ABs that I have. I have a couple catches and a couple uh, stolen bases that I kind of want to walk through just your process there. So those listening to the show, the link to this separate video will be in the episode description. But Victor, for those who just are listening to the, the the podcast side of things, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on, man. Congratulations on an unbelievable season. And it was so fun to watch you do your thing in the fall league. And I'm even more excited to watch you do your thing next year as you, you know, keep pushing towards the big leagues. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.